The following for the city sermon is from our sermon series by Pastor Scott Rising entitled Feast for Failures from the book of Luke. We hope you enjoy it. All right, hey, we're back in Luke, and uh, over the next four weeks, we're going to be working our way through Luke 18, verse 9, through chapter 19, verse 10. The reason I tell you that is because, like all times, it's real important that we stay in context of, the, of any book that we're in, but particularly where we're at right now, where we find ourselves in Luke. If you do, if you look at those next four weeks, I think you'll see a greater beauty uh, in this larger view of Scripture, uh, particularly what, what Jesus is doing, what Luke is doing in this section, how it all hangs together. We're going re- to meet a rich young ruler. We're going to meet Zacchaeus. And if you grew up in church, which I did not, then the wee little man song apparently comes to your brain and you picture <laughs> Zacchaeus climbing trees, right? Um, but there's so much more going on there. But if you'll view it as a whole, I think you'll enjoy it more. You're like, well, why don't you preach it as a whole? Because you guys want to get home before the new year actually comes. So this morning, we're going to actually spend the majority of our time looking at the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Uh, This is a well-known scripture text, right? Um, But the tricky thing is, is with well-known texts, often what we do is we We really miss the opportunity to be transformed by the scripture. We miss the opportunity to receive much needed grace because we think we know it. But once again, Luke, man, he's he's so masterful in in his writing. He clues us in on the point of the parable. Look at verse 9. Now, Alexis just read the text. And and I want you to have your Bibles open. If you don't, you should do that to Luke 18, right? So that you can see it for yourself. If you don't have a Bible, we'll gladly get you one. But look at verse 9 with me. So it says, Jesus told this parable, this story, to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt or disdain, with disrespect, right? So let's just look at that for a moment. The, The parable, get it right in your head right now, is meant to answer this question. Who really is righteous before God? That, that's what this is seeking and aiming to answer. So if, if we come away with anything other than answering that question, we missed the point of the text that was written right here, right now. So here's the question. Who is truly part of the kingdom, right? And, and, and we won't have to guess long. That's the, that's the purpose pitch of the parable. Um, and if we understand, it brings a lot of clarity. But if you're not careful, then what can happen is you can have a false sense of comfort when you come to this text. You can actually wrongly think, well, I know I'm not like the Pharisee. That's the the temptation. We never want to be aligned with these guys. I'm much more like the tax collector, but I would say, is that true? Well, let's look. Now, look at the parable with me. Luke 18, 10 through 14. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself 
will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Let's look at this a little bit. You know, to grasp the shocking nature of what Jesus is doing in this parable, you have to look at it with first century Jewish eyes. You, you really do, right? This is really hard because we often come to this text with a, with a bias, all right? We come to this text and we say, Pharisees are the bad guys. <laughs> yes, they are the worst, right? He's right. They're judgmental. They're arrogant. Uh, they think that they're better than everybody else. They're proud of all the right things that they do. And so immediately we see that word Pharisee and we push away. Here's what I tell you. In, in that time, Pharisees were widely respected within their community. Uh, they were the pastors of that time. They were respected for their godliness, their devotion to the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible. They desired to obey God and all that he had commanded. So much so, sometimes they, they went way beyond the law even. But they walked the walk. And so many times people would see this and they would say, now there are some men who value God's word. They were the good guys. I just don't think we ever think like that. We immediately come to the text and say, these guys are wicked. And the tax collectors, well, they were, they were the bad guys. If you think, man, oh, I, I'm, I'm such a tax collector, I would challenge that. Tax collectors were the scum of the earth. They really were. They, especially in a Jewish society, right? Because they were despised as traitors, right? They were sellouts. Uh, and I'm not going to go into all the details of what they were, but, but they betrayed their brothers, their family, their lineage for a buck. You would not like these guys. And, and I know almost everyone in this room, and I don't know anyone that really lines up with a tax collector. Simply put, these guys were outcasts, and there was a good reason for that. Uh, they were despicable. They were absolute monsters. And we're going to, that's why I wanted it all to hang together. Zacchaeus is the chief of them, all right? So, so just keep him in your mind. In today's culture, though, the closest comparison that I think we could even begin with would probably be drug pushers, pimps, uh, sex traffickers, mafia. This would be like, think Tony Soprano, right? Don't think long because this, this is not good, but that's the guy. Imagine that guy comes in here and he's harmed your family. And he's standing in the back and he's, God have mercy on me, a sinner. What would be your initial thought? What would be your initial feeling? If you think, oh yes, bless him. You're not being honest. These people made a living from stealing from others. They harmed people over and over. Which means that you and I most naturally would look up to the Pharisee. We'd look down to the tax collector. Most naturally, right? And we would look down with great disgust because we've probably been affected or someone we love has been affected by this, this crew of people, right? So let's be real, though. That's not how we think about this parable. I'm trying to take you off center in the introduction because if I don't, it's just like, yeah, sinners are justified. Amen. <laughs> and you just won't ever value what Christ has done to save sinners. Because you think, and I think, most naturally, we're the good guys of the story. If we can be honest, though, when Jesus introduces this, these characters in the story, we refuse to identify with the Pharisee. We just do. But we're most like him. We're most like him. And for whatever reason, we almost always instinctively resonate 
with the tax collector. Why? There's a lot of reasons. We've been, we've been trained through Bible teaching and preaching. I've probably helped contribute to this in a bad way to always think the Pharisees instinctively just the wicked guy in the story. And, and there's, there's some truth to that, but, but not really. I would tell you to watch out because in that moment, when you think like that, you're already in the mouth of, of really a self-righteous attitude. Right? Because you're looking down on the, on the Pharisee. You're becoming the Pharisee. <laughs> I say this because I've done it. I do it when I read the scriptures. Often I, I come to the text and I think, yeah, what a loser. He's over there praying all these prayers, thinking he's big stuff. <laughs> I'm just thankful I wasn't alive during that time because if Jesus were to write stories about me, I just can't imagine what I'd look like in them. See, the temptation is to say, even in that moment, oh, almighty, holy God, I thank you that I am not like these arrogant Pharisees. I thank you that I always, you know, those guys who walk around with their heads high and their chest stuck out. I thank you I'm not like those guys. But in doing that, that's exactly what we're doing. In all honesty, people, many people within the church, Christians, they we, we would be much better to identify ourselves here in the story as a Pharisee. Because then you actually be able to receive a lot of grace. You, you, you'll be able to receive exactly what Jesus has for you. See, when we pharisaically judge Pharisees for doing pharisaical things, we show ourselves to be the self-righteous person. You see it? So, so that's the posture we want to come to the text with. We want to come to the text, we're probably trusting in ourselves in some areas of our lives that we shouldn't. Well, let's, let's, let's think about that. You know, that's the crazy twist of the text, right? Just a tad bit more of introduction. When we assume we're the hero of the story, the hero of the story, by the way, is the, it's the tax collector. When we assume we're that person, we automatically function as a Pharisee it's rough, but that is the crazy twist of this, this parable. Uh, I'm, I'm, I wrote this thing twice because when I first sat down, I wrote it how I preached it about 10 years ago. But then I kept looking at it, and then I realized when we do that, we're, we're not in a position to receive grace. We're not in a position to, to understand how desperate we are and how deceptive self-righteous religion is. And it is, I promise you, to help diagnose this. Think about a time when you feel, think about this, whenever you feel like God does not love you because you failed. Think about that time. It's in that moment that you've adopted a pharisaical approach to Christianity. Just think about it. When, when you feel like I've done something that now God doesn't love me, that, that is a works righteous understanding of the gospel. It shouldn't be surprising, though, right? Uh, the Bible over and over teaches that the human's heart is deceptive. It's deceitful. But its default mode is, guess what? Self-righteousness, self-justification, a desire to put forth our own righteousness, our good deeds, our good living, in order to maintain a good standing with God and others. Right? We, we, all, we all do this. I do this. We're all self-righteous, right? Let's just say it. We're all self-justifying in our own way. And we go on the attack mode anytime we feel like that's been threatened by somebody. 
right? It's just so easy to see because we feel threatened, we feel criticized, and we feel condemned. And it's in that moment, you've, you've got gospel amnesia. You've forgotten the good news of what Christ has done. So think about New Year's resolutions, right? Anyway, got some? I can't wait to hear them. Um, they can really reveal this type of thinking. Let me, let me show you how that works. Think about it. We start every new year thinking, this is the year, right? I, I even, it's creeping in on me, right? We resolve to turn over a new leaf. This time, by the way, we're serious. We're serious. I'm, I'm 48 right now. I've been serious every year. And I can just tell you right now, next year you're going to be standing here. Not much has changed. I, I'm just, I know me. If history repeats itself, I'm still going to be overweight, wishing I'd shed pounds, but I'm unwilling. I'm unwilling to put down bacon, and I'm unwilling to do the things I've got to do to make that thing happen, right? But this year, we're serious. We promise ourselves we're going to quit bad habits, and we're going to start good ones. We're going to get in shape. We're going to eat better. We're going to waste less time. We're going to be more content. We're going to be disciplined. We're going to be intentional. That's us, yes. We're going to be better husbands, better wives, better fathers, mothers. I'm going to embrace singleness. Not me. I'm happily married. But I'm talking to my single friends, right? We're, we're, just, we're just going to knock it out of the park this year. 2024, that's the year for me. Oh, let's put, a, let's put a religious spin on it. We're going to read the Bible more. As a matter of fact, I'm going to read the Old Testament in a year. Many of you are going to fail, by the way. I'm just saying that right now. You're going to sign up and you're going to fail. But if you read any of it, you didn't fail because you read more than you would have had you not done it. I'm just telling you, right? So you might not reach the finish line, but you'll get the Word of God in you. But I'm going to memorize Scripture more. Absolutely. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to serve more. I'm going to give more. Ultimately, what we're saying is I'm going to be more. Are you as you see me? 2025 is going to be amazing. Matter of fact, my first scripture memory verse is going to be, you guessed it, Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Amen. And you can, but you should really read that in context. Okay, Tim Tebow? Okay. Here's the deal, though. Oh, how easily we can fall into a pharisaical way of thinking. Look at how he boasts all through the prayer. I, 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 I. There's five uses of the personal pronoun I. We can do the same thing. Just take this example of the New Year's resolution. Let's have a little bit more fun. I thank you that I quit smoking, quit drinking, and quit hanging out with people who do. God, I thank you that I shed tons of pounds by eating only kale and going to the gym three times a day. I thank you that I'm more efficient, more disciplined with my time. Don't waste your life, right? I thank you that I am more holy through my spiritual disciplines of reading, memorizing, praying, serving, giving, and kicking spiritual booty in the year of 2024. God, I thank you that I'm not like these other lukewarm losers who surround me most Sundays. Now, we don't say it, but we think it at times. Can't you see the tendency to justify yourself? Oh, I can't. I, I hated writing this sermon, and then I loved it. It's so deeply ingrained in every one of us. We often look at what we do, our moral efforts, our abilities to make ourselves right with God. And we do. But, but can I just tell you, spoiler alert, it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. And when it does, that's dangerous because you'll feel like you're just knocking it out of the park. You're awesome. And then you'll fail. And then you'll feel very, 
very destroyed and very defeated because, well, you failed your own moral code. No one lives a perfect life. One did. His name is Jesus Christ. Even on our best days when we feel like we're killing it with good deeds, even then our good deeds are, are tainted. They're tarnished, right, with, with selfish and impure motives. And as a result, it's hard to overestimate how scandalous what Jesus is saying in this text is. So here's the point. It's, it's on your map. The justified one is the sinner who approaches God on the basis of his mercy, rather than the good man who approaches God on the basis of his own merit. Oh man, my prayer for us this morning was that God would just set us free. <laughs> to embrace grace, to embrace mercy, to embrace love, to embrace who God truly is as revealed in the scriptures. Because I'll tell you, if you'll do that, you will Oh, you'll flourish in 2024. It doesn't mean that you'll enjoy all of the life that comes your way. But you'll flourish because you quit trusting in yourself that you can control this thing. And you'll start trusting in the one who is sovereign over all. This is why, listen, to be honest with you, if you have New Year's resolutions, that's good, by the way. Make resolutions. I'm not saying that. Just don't put your hope in accomplishing them all. Don't, don't be all puffed up because you actually read through the Old Testament and your friend stopped at Leviticus, <laughs> right? It's, it's, that's, goals aren't bad. It's what we do with them. We make them who we are instead of the action we do because of who we are in Christ. What a big difference. It, this is why I'm, I'm saying hang in there. Sermon 4 with Zacchaeus. We're going to talk about the fruit of salvation, we're going to talk about what comes from one who believes in Christ. But today is, is primarily talking about justification. And, and you've got to draw a hard line in, in what God has done to save sinners and what we do in light of that truth. Okay, so this is the hard line sermon. Get this. If you get this, you'll be so grateful for the, the love of God. You'll be so grateful for the gospel. God's love for you, his approval for you, his commitment for you does not ride on your resolve and commitment to be committed to him. Oh, it's, it's not only good, it's necessary. Oh, if it's meant to me to get into heaven, I'm done. I'm done. I can't even get into most clubs around here. Heaven? I mean, give me a break. The gospel announces that we are justified by grace through faith. Faith. Trusting in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ in our place. Not by what we do, not by what we don't do, or even who we are, but primarily and only through what Jesus Christ has done to save sinners from the wrath of God. That's it. That's it. And anybody who wants to tell you anything else, anybody who wants to add to that good news can go to hell. And you think, well, that's not very nice to say. I know, I'm just quoting the Apostle Paul. Because that's exactly what the Apostle Paul says in Galatians. Anybody who adds to this message, anybody who takes away from this message of justification by grace alone, they can take their message and go where it came from. Now, I don't wish that upon anybody, but what, what I would say is any works righteousness understanding of the gospel is from the pit of hell. It is. 
Notice once again in verse 14, the first part of it. Notice the past tense. Oh gosh, I want you to love the Bible and I want you to read and I want you to think. I want you to understand language, how it works, and look at it beyond surface level. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified. Past, present, which one? Past. Oh, that's good news. You know why that's good news? Because it's not up for grabs. It's, it's finished. It's done. Justified. Sanctified. Glorified. That's exactly how God sees you when you're in Christ. It is, it's finished. It's done. It's accomplished. It's something that's been accomplished for you. It's not something you accomplished. You don't add to it. I don't add to it. God has done it. You trust in Christ for your salvation. Man, is that good news. This is not good news. That's great news. It's great news. Remember Jesus' dying words from the cross are, it's finished. Not just do it. <laughs> oh, we live in such a Nike world. That's not, that's not what Jesus teaches. This is something that's been accomplished for us. It's total and it's complete. And we rest in it. And we believe in Christ. Which means that as far as God is concerned, Jesus' perfect obedience to the law is now our perfect obedience. Every way he obeyed, you and I obeyed. His death upon a cross is now our death, right? The wages of sin is death. We deserve to die. Jesus died in our place, right? Which also means that his resurrection is now our resurrection. We're resurrected into new life with God. Behold, the old has passed away. The new has come. We are now with God. God is with us, dwelling in us. The Holy Spirit lives in all who believe. No one can ever separate you from the love of God. It's, that's, it's over. It's finished. So no matter what your New Year's resolution is, it doesn't get better than that. And nothing can change that. Why? Because Jesus will not fail. Romans 4 or 5 says that Jesus is the one who justifies, listen, the ungodly. Justifies the ungodly. The only entrance into the kingdom is to recognize you are ungodly and that Jesus is perfectly holy and trust in him for your salvation. Uh, the gospel is when we believe in Christ, as Romans 8, 1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No wrath, no hell. There's no admixture either. It's not 99% love, 1%. I'm not really excited about you. Right? We, we like to think like that. What, like when we're reading our Bibles throughout the week, when we're doing all these things, we like to think God loves us more in those moments. And when we fail to do those things, we like to think that God doesn't love us near as much as he would had I just done all the right things. Well, that's, that's a fair sake of understanding of the gospel. Do you see that putting faith in Christ is not about trying harder? As a matter of fact, it, it means transferring your trust away from yourself and resting in Him. Oh, is that good news? I, help me functionally to live that life. I know it intellectually. Oh, but how I just go right back. Really, it means asking Father, accept me. Listen, not because of what I have done or ever will do, but because of what Jesus has done in my place. And He says, yes. Oh, I'd love to do that. I actually, he's, 
He would say, I've done that. Why does this matter? Because what we're doing in that moment is we're asking for mercy. We're just like now. Do you understand why you have to see yourself as the Pharisee? Now we're in the back. Now our heads hung a little low. Now we're, oh God, have mercy on a sinner like me. It's your only hope. And if, and if that's you, oh, Christ has done everything to lift your head. He's done everything to lift your head to him and to smile and to be smiled upon. Do you know that God really, he, he loves you? Yes, I know that. All the Bible says so. He enjoys you. He died to save you. He died to make you his own. He is thoroughly pleased with you because he's thoroughly pleased with Christ. But, but that's not how we mostly walk around thinking that God is thoroughly pleased with us because of what Jesus has done. We walk around feeling much more condemned than that. And that's sad because what we're doing in that moment is not trusting in Jesus' perfect life. We're trusting in what we do still. But that, that's not God's desire for you. And by the way, if you get this, it will lead you to be humble. It will lead you to be dependent. It will lead you to have compassion on other people because you, you just realize you're not all that in a bag of chips either. And so you can just love the people that are in your life without putting the expectations of the world on them because you fail your own expectations, let alone God's. But he doesn't just leave you as a justified sinner. Uh, the beauty of the gospel, I, I think it was uh, J.I. Packer said, the apex of it is adoption. Uh, John 1, 12 and 13 says this, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were not born not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. See, the, the world gets it so confused. We think we're all God's children. Actually, we're not. We're all sons and daughters of wrath. You have to be adopted into the family, and you're adopted by grace through faith in Christ alone. And in that moment, he makes you his own. He, he, literally, being in Christ is so much more intimate than just this phrase, in Christ. It means his perfect life is now, it's yours. It's yours. When the Father looks upon you, He sees you as holy as Jesus Christ because you have His perfect righteousness. It's been given to you as a gift. Faith is receiving that gift. Merry Christmas. I almost said it the other way, but we're not going to do that today. Just receive it. Embrace it. It's, it's now your life. And you say, well, what about following Christ? It's it's. It's all grounded in that. Because if you, if you move on, okay, justification, that's for that one time. They say, yeah, I'm sorry, and I need some forgiveness, and forgive me, blah, blah, blah. And then we think, now it's, now it's up to me. Jesus got me this far, and I get me the rest of the way. No, no, no. You never move on from the gospel, because if you do, you will become a Pharisee in a heartbeat. You start thinking, yeah, Jesus saved me, but look at what I've done. Aren't I pretty impressive? And it just leads to pride. And it crushes people around you who are crushed. I know. Oh, I got the t-shirt. I got the tattoos. This is, this is me. And this is you. Apart from God's grace. But if you'll get it, that finally through grace, by grace, through faith in Christ, 
We've become God's people, have become, are God's children. If you'll get that, if you'll get this not based on your ethnicity or your good deeds or your morality or anything else for that matter, it's not Jesus and, it's just Christ. Well, then, if you understand that now and forevermore it's through the blood of Christ that I stand here as a saved, justified man, even when I sway back into my pharisaical thinking, that means that the struggle between you and God is now and forever over. It's over. Yeah, but. Keep your yeah, but. It's just over. He, you ready? He loves you. He loves you. And he's done everything to make that possible. We're his children, those who trust in Jesus Christ. We're his citizens of his eternal kingdom. So do you see, in all honesty, you and I are much more like the Pharisees. Could we just be real? You're free to do it. Can you admit it? Much more like the Pharisee than we are the tax collector. But it's when we feel judged as the Pharisee that you finally will receive and feel the mercy and the tenderness of God. Oh, and then that just lifts you up out of the gutter. See, you have to receive the bitter medicine of the law. If you're ever going to find that the gospel of grace is sweet to your tongue, you just have to. Notice verse 14b, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. You will be brought low. But the one who humbles himself will be lifted up, exalted. So we may judge others. We, listen, market 2024, you're going to judge people. In your heart, at least, right? Um, others are going to judge us. Market, it's going to happen. We may even often judge ourselves. Can we agree with that? Yeah. yeah. But God has gotten out of the judgment business for his children forever, fully, finally. Hallelujah. Amen. That's great news. He's declared you righteous. He's declared you forgiven. He's declared you justified, just as though you've never sinned. As far as the east is to the west, God sees no more sin. You're as white as snow. I don't even know what that is. We live in Western PA. Global warming's real. Hashtag. Just kidding. (laughs) Maybe. I don't know. It's above my pay grade. Luke 18, 15 through 17 continues. We normally take these separate, but let's look at it with fresh eyes now and see why we maybe didn't today. Now, they were bringing him infants, bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. By the way, can't go into it, but don't miss the approachability of the Lord Jesus. Rabbis would not have been bothered with infants. They don't contribute. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him, saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. We better think about that last sentence. There's, once again, inherent danger in this text that we would read this through an American lens. 
right? And in doing so, what we, ought, we often will do, we'll, we'll romanticize this text about little children and how innocent and perfect and lovely they are. But in the ancient world, let me tell you something, children, it was no fairy tale for them. As a matter of fact, it was dangerous and a difficult life. I don't normally read long text, but I'm going to read this one to you. This is a quote. It is estimated that over 50% of children lived, did not live past the age of 10. Think about this, 50%. If David Garland is right, then six out of every 10 children died before the age of 16. Then one might surmise that the number of parents who drought instance to, or brought infants to Jesus might well lose them in their first year or so. Perhaps that mixed some urgency into their coming. Such morality, mortality was not simply an Israelite problem. It has been estimated, listen to this, that in Rome, for example, 30% of all babies died within the first year. Only 49% of children lived past their 15th birthday. And only 40% of the population lived to the age of 20. Childhood was a desperate, desperate life. Not cute, end quote. So Jesus is not saying, get it, that children are so innocent and lovely, although, I mean, our kids here at For the City are... That they're worthy of the kingdom. Um, actually, it's quite the opposite of what he was saying. Jesus has in mind the objective truth that every child who ever lived, regardless of race, culture, and background, experienced, namely, ready, helpless dependency. This is what he's getting at. Oh, and don't miss it. Think about it. No child would survive its early years without the help of others. Right? This isn't rocket science. We can agree to this. Uh, consequently, infants then are, are open to being helped. As a matter of fact, they cry for it. <laughs> Does that mark your discipleship? A helpless dependency. Constantly crying out. Needy. Very needy. Because that's how you must become if you want to enter the kingdom. But we don't like that, right? We, we don't like that. We must receive this thing as a gift. You're not going to make it if it's not for Christ. That's the point. You're just not going to make it. You'll never get there if it's up to you. Thankfully, it's not up to you. This, this means that all who have come to Christ come as dependent as very needy infants. See, we think in Christianity that being mature in Christianity is growing up. Actually, I would tell you that in Scripture, you, you shrink. You don't become less needy, you become more needy as you look at the Scriptures. That's so opposite of how we think. We think, I finally arrived. <laughs> no, arriving is realizing... <laughs> You ain't getting out of bed tomorrow if God doesn't give you the miracle of life. You couldn't love someone if your life depended on it apart from the love of God. Not with, not with pure heart. We're beggars. We're beggars in need of great need of mercy and great need of grace. Now, think about babies for a moment. They don't go around crawling and bragging about how they didn't blow out their diaper today. <laughs> right? 
they, they're, they're not talking with their buds about how they crushed it, going from milk to solid food. <laughs> right? Um, they, they don't make the ridiculous claim that ever since my first moments in the womb, right? Like, they don't do that at all. They just, here, spoiler alert, they cry a good bit, some more than others. They make a lot of messes, and they don't clean them up, <laughs> right? And you, if they do one thing, if you let the, the work happen to you, they teach you how selfish you are. They do that. <laughs> do they do that? They have no spiritual resume to brag about. They exist, and they need. That's what they do. This is what it means to be born again, to be God's children. Every breath you have is a gift. You didn't make your heart beat. You didn't allow yourself to get out of bed this morning. It's just all, life is all a gift. It's all a miracle, and it's all grace, and it's all finished. And you just rest and receive. Likewise, disciples are to receive the kingdom of God just like that. Those who are totally helpless, those who recognize their dependency on the mercy of God, we fall upon his character, not our good deeds or our bad deeds. We trust him. The kingdom of God, ready? It's for the littlest. It's, it's for the least significant. It's for the, those who have the least to offer. And if you're like, this is me, great. Then, then smile. Cheer up, bud. Ma'am, miss, young lady. Why? Because this is what God has done. This is what he's done. As the old hymn, Rock of Ages, goes, Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked, come to thee for dress. Helpless, look to thee for grace. Fam, as the new year gets underway, take comfort knowing this, that we're weak, our God is strong, and that even our love that falls short every day, every moment, Jesus' love never falls short. It's eternal, it's constantly present, and it will be with you for all of eternity. So, Happy New Year. Welcome to it. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have done it all. God, transform our hearts and our minds to understand the gift of grace. Help us to realize that, that when your word convicts us and brings us to a place that we are the ones standing in the back with our head low, and we realize that we have fallen short in every way, that we, that we pound our chest and we ask for mercy. Help us to realize that you delight to give mercy because you're the God of all grace and you love to pour it out. For anyone who's just not willing to open their hands and trust in you fully and completely, Lord, I pray that you'd bring them very low and that you'd help them see that, that the way forward is not through our work, but through the work of Christ. It's accomplished. It's finished. Lord, help us to be a holy, humble people. Help us to 
represent our great God to this community, to this city, to the world around us, to, to the people in our home. Transform our hearts and our minds. Help us, help this year to be the year that we grasp the gospel of grace more fully, more deeply, and rest more than we ever have in any other year before. We ask this in Christ's powerful name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon. If you found it helpful, we encourage you to enjoy more of our sermons, find out more information about For the City, or how to partner with us through prayer and giving at www.forthecity.church. For the City exists to magnify Jesus by making disciples who share and show the transforming power of the gospel and plant churches that multiply.